2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Then he says this, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Look at it again. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman or a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, if you would look over, keep your finger there, look over to chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 16. 16. Uh, well, uh, verse uh, 16, and look at, um, let me see, let's, let's look at verse 15. 3, verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. That, uh, wouldn't it be great if every family could say that honestly and say from childhood we've taught our children the Scripture. From childhood you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely or complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, let me call your attention back to 15. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, we hold in our hand, hold in my hand, God's word, the Holy Scriptures. And so God has left us this book to study and to enjoy, and, and hopefully you and I, as ordinary believers, can, can see what it really says. And through the Holy Spirit, can understand what it says. But to really understand the book, we have to be willing and able to rightly divide the Word of God. To rightly divide the Word of truth. We have to keep in mind that we have two Testaments. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. Now what we have to do is we have to divide those. We have to rightly divide which goes with what, which goes with which. The old, which goes with the new. Another word for testament is what? Anybody take a stab? We have a new, we have the old covenant and we have a new covenant. Have the old testament, old covenant, we have a new testament, new covenant. So what we have to do is to divide Rightly divide the word of truth. Now, if you're not mistaken, when it comes to prophecy, people kind of put a little of, little of this in the blender and a little of this in the blender and a little of this in the blender, and they blend it all up and they pour it out, and they've got a mess. We have to be able to understand and rightly divide the word of truth. And so what's so important tonight, we want to see through a timeline, and later on, how that we can divide the Word of God, the Word of truth, in the way that God intended it to be, to where we have the outcome of the New Testament as reflected in the Old Testament. Okay? Prophesied in the Old Testament comes to pass in the New Testament. And so we want to understand how that we can rightly divide the Word of truth. It was either William Tyndale or Tyndall or John Wycliffe, when they were being burned at the stake, they wanted the Bible to be in print and be in the language that every plowboy in England could read it and understand it. You see, before it was translated first into English, uh, it had Latin Bible. And so... And that was the Hebrew and the Greek was translated into the, uh, various other translations in Latin and later on into English. But I remember talking to Brother Ralph Beckenbach. And Brother Ralph, he was raised in the Catholic Church and he didn't have an English Bible. He, when he came here and was saved at the age of uh, 75, 
Uh, he'd never had a Bible. He said we didn't need a Bible. He said the priest would read the Latin. He would read the scripture in Latin. And then he'd tell us what it would mean. And so when, when, the, when the Latin Bible was translated into the English Bible, then the plowboy in England could read and understand the Bible for the very first time without anybody having to read it and to explain to him, this is what this means, this is what this means. And that brought on the Protestant Reformation when all of a sudden people began to read, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, least any man should boast. And it went completely against what the Catholic Church was teaching. And so a great Reformation broke out partially because we had the Scripture in print where we could read it, where we could understand it. thought that was very interesting. And so what we want to do uh, in, in this first session, we want to see how, how the book, the Bible, lays out the whole program of God. And we want to start with the creation of Adam. Now, uh, I think you have uh, in your hands, you should have uh, just some study notes. But you also should have a copy of the Old Testament outline, and you have a copy of the New Testament outline. Has everybody got one? You've got study notes uh, where you fill in the blanks, and then over on the back you've got the Old Testament outline. Turn to that Old Testament. It should, if I didn't get them flip-flopped, you should have the Old Testament first. Now, we want to look at this, and you'll have to hold that. You may have to tear it apart. But you want to be able to look at that, and at the same time, you want to be able to fill in the blanks. But, um, so we want, to, uh, we want to look at this tonight, and we want to look at that Old Testament uh, outline that you have, and we want to fill in the blanks from the time of Adam all the way through uh, to up to the tribulation period, I believe there in... And this, so let's look at this. The whole purpose of this timeline is to see how clearly the Bible's laid out to the whole program of God. And we want to start with the creation of Adam at 4000 B.C. Now, that's the date that's usually ascribed. That's the date that's usually ascribed. Let me get my clicker out here. That's the date that's usually ascribed... Um, to the creation of Adam, not the world. So don't get that mixed up. Uh, uh, biblical scholars usually ascribe four, around 4,000 B.C. to the creation of Adam. We're not saying the world was created, and we're saying that's when Adam was created. And that's a big difference. So that's the date that we usually ascribe to his creation, but not necessarily the planet. So don't misunderstand me. So we're talking about the creation of Adam. And then we're going to go from there. And halfway in between Adam's creation, you're going to see this on your outline, halfway between Adam's creation and the birth of Christ is the appearance of the man Abraham. So you fill that in. So halfway between from Adam to the, where Christ comes on the scene, you have this man Abraham at approximately 2000 B.C., before Christ. That's when he was born, approximately. And from Abraham, about 400 years, approximately, to 2400 B.C., brings us to the time of the flood. So you're going back a little. So you got Abraham, from Adam to Abraham, and then you go back to about 2400 B.C., and that would be the time of the flood. And so from Adam to the flood is about 1,600 years, approximately, we see. We're not saying it's certain. just what they come up with approximately. This is a good timeline, okay? So we've seen when Adam and Abraham and the flood, and then about 200 years after the flood, when mankind is beginning to multiply abundantly, we find the Tower of Babel. Now, you remember all of this by just biblical studies and preschool and coming on up, and, and you probably can tell some type of uh, uh, childhood uh, story about, uh, about all of this. 
So mankind began to multiply abundantly. And so they end up, and we can't go in it real in depth. I'm just giving you a timeline to help us with our covenants. We find that Tower of Babel. Okay? Then 200 years later is the call of Abraham at approximately 2,000 years before Christ. Now imagine it. Abraham is called to leave his home place 2,000 years before Christ was born. And he was promised to be a father of a great nation that would bless all nations. And that was 2,000 years before Christ was born. Imagine that. Okay? Let's go on. From Adam to Abraham, God dealt with one race of people. One race of people. From Adam to Abraham, he, he dealt with one race of people. From Adam, God dealt with one race of people. In other, in other words, all the things that God had taught Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, all of those things he taught them were appropriate for the whole race. He dealt with one race of people because the races had not been divided at that time. Just one. Picture it as a river. Picture it as a, just a stream flowing. And out of that stream... Before the stream, he created Adam, and then they were instructed to multiply, and then he, out of that stream, he pulls a man by the name of Abraham. And then out of that stream, just one stream of people, and all of that stream of people, God had taught the same to them as he had Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. All those teachings for them were appropriate for all that was on the earth at that time, which means of all people for the first 2,000 years, there was no organized system of worship. No organized system of worship. There was no temple at that time. There was no written law. Imagine this. Adam, Cain, Abel, later Cain, the race continued to grow, and they had been taught by God certain things, and it kind of became natural for the entire race at that time. And this river is just flowing down through there, and it was simply based, no written law, no temple, no worship. It was simply based on man's conscience that if they knew they'd sinned, they were to bring a blood sacrifice by faith and... If their faith was real, then it was their faith that saved them just like it's our faith that saves us today. Makes a lot of sense. And so we have all been from the time of Adam and Eve all the way down, their children, all this humongous race of people, all been saved by the same thing, and that's faith. Faith in God. And we'll talk about that a little later on. Okay? And so we can kindly see how there was no, you know, all of a sudden people, people were just, they were multiplying. However, we know that the human race completely fell apart until it got so wicked and so rebellious that God had no remedy but what? To destroy it. Okay? Um, the Bible says that every all of man's thoughts were evil continually. It got to the point before the flood that every thought of man was just continually evil. No good thought. No righteous thought. It was just evil. So he, God, have a choice but to destroy it. And so with that, we have the advent of Noah and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And we can see the human race right here split into three races. That's where it all divides, with Ham, Shem, and Japheth. We don't have time right now to go into, we don't have time to go into all of the 
you know, the different offsprings and the nations that formed from them. That's another study for a different time. Just trying to give you a, a, a base, a timeline to get us to where we, we need to go for the covenants. Okay, so you have these, you have these three races that develop. Now, with that said, this was the beginning of the separation of one race. You had one race down through there. And all of a sudden, Noah had these three sons, and you see the separation of races there with Noah. However, they really did not scatter. If you remember Bible history, they really did not scatter until the Tower of Babel. And even at that time, they were still of one speech. You know the story? They wanted to build a tower that would reach to heaven. Very innovative, very self-centered. They wanted, they wanted to build a tower. Not that God wanted them to, but they wanted them to. They were so smart that they believed that they could build a tower that could reach into heaven. Now, what happened with that? Well, what happened with that? It wasn't until God came with the language confusion that they began to scatter into prescribed areas of the planet. God says, no, you're not going to build a tower to heaven. And so what happened? He confused the languages. All the different languages came into existence. They couldn't understand each other. So one group that spoke like others were speaking, they formed one, one area. And another group that spoke like some were speaking, they formed another area. And so they scattered over the known planet at that time because God confused their languages. Okay? Keeping up on the outline. Our timeline, so we find 200 years later, out of the line of Shem, now this is real important, out of the line of Shem. So you had Noah had three sons, and so out of the line of Shem, God calls Abraham. Out of the line of Shem, this man Abraham comes at 2000 B.C. So that's brought you back up to where you wrote down Abraham a few minutes ago. All right, now the promises that God made to this man Abraham is referred to as the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant. Very important covenant. Now, Shem, Abraham came out of the line of Shem. But the Bible is very silent about Shem. Um, you don't hear anything about Shem. Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of patriarchs were mentioned one time in the Bible and they were never heard of again. Noah was one of those. Noah's mentioned in the Bible. But then after the flood and after his disastrous drunken event, Noah's never heard of again. And so some biblical scholars believe that Shem's never heard of, Noah's never heard of. After he, after he built the ark, he built something else. He built a vineyard, and he drank wine. He got drunk. You know the story. But then you never hear of Noah anymore. Kind of sad. And someone said, well, did Noah lose his salvation after what he did? After he came off the ark, built a vineyard, got drunk, and, and um, did he lose his salvation? No, he, he didn't lose his salvation, but many believe that he lost his testimony. Many believe the reason Shem's not mentioned or some other patriarchs are not mentioned but one time, just their name mentioned one time, is perhaps they lost their testimony. And that's something we have to guard against. We have to be careful not to lose our testimony. You've heard me mention that if we ever lose our testimony, we'd be blessed to live long enough to get that back. People, you know... God forgives, but people don't for some reason. And so it's very difficult if we, if we lose our testimony to get that back. So we have to be careful uh, with, our, with our testimony. But uh, the same thing that happened to Noah happened to Shem. Okay? Now, 
Many believe, including myself, unless you understand the Abrahamic covenant, you'll never understand the Bible or even the New Testament. And we're going to see how it all fits in together uh, after we kind of get this timeline finished tonight. We start on the covenants. Now, next week we'll start, I believe we'll, I don't know how many we'll get to cover next week, but in all we'll have seven Seven covenants, we'll talk about covenant, what the word covenant means, why God gives covenants, who can break a covenant, can we break a covenant, is God the only one that has the power to break a covenant? And so we'll, we'll start learning about covenants as we think about the Edenic covenant next week. You have the, the Edenic, E-D-E, in the Garden of Eden, add I seed to it. That's Edenic covenant. So you have the Edenic covenant. And then you have the Noahic covenant. Noah, add I seed to it. Noetic, Noetic covenant. And then you have uh, the Mosaic, the uh, um, the uh, Mosaic covenant. You have the uh, Davidic covenant. Uh, and then with the cross, you have the New covenant. You have the cross. Have the Abrahamic covenant, and we'll spend most of our time there. But uh, tonight I want you to see this timeline. Because when God called this man out of idolatry, and he was an idolater, his father, just remember the human race prior to the calling of this man, most of the human, 99.9% perhaps the human race was all idolatry. Okay? And so God calls this man out of idolatry, his family, and the entire human race was has come to idolatry. They were steeped in idolatry. After the Tower of Babel, unto Abraham came along, every human being, with the exception uh, uh, of two, should be of two, uh, two or three, had now succumbed, very few, had now succumbed to idolatry and to pagan worship of uh, mythological gods and so forth. So, living in a very paganistic period, okay? So God makes a covenant with Abraham that, that uh, really contains three parts, and we want to look at those briefly, okay? Three parts. Let me find myself in my notes here. Well, I'll just go on with that. Going to make, he, this is part, this is first part of the Abrahamic covenant. We'll go into it in depth later on. Picture what's going on, into, uh, going on today. First of all, first part of the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant, I'm going to make out of you a nation of people. Has that come to pass? Has it? Has God got a nation of people? Yes. Okay, yes, he does. Who is it? The Jews. Good, all right, the Jews. So he, he says, first promise to Abraham, going to make a nation of people. I'm going to make out of you a nation of people. Second promise, I'm going to put you in a geographical location. Okay? Has that happened? Yes, yes, it's happened. We'll talk about that geographical location. And, and God even gave them a deed to that. And it's forever and forever and forever. And it's described, and we'll look at it. He gives the boundaries of... of their, their land that he's given to them, and he's given it to them forever and forever, and he has a deed that he gives to them, uh, promising that land to them. So three parts. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a nation out of, out of you, nation of people. I'm going to put you in a geographical location. And the third part, he says, <clears throat> those promises there didn't take long. That came about pretty quick. The third promise was someday... I'm going to come myself and be your king over a glorious kingdom, a kingdom not up in heaven, but on earth. Now, has that happened yet? No, that hasn't happened yet. So we're waiting on that to happen. We're preparing, for, and some things have to take place before that happens. But we know the first promise came true, we know the second promise came true, and we know the third promise is going to come true. But certain things have to take place first. And that's what we're going to see on this timeline. Okay? 
Here's the point. God called Abraham out of the main river of humanity because he was going to make a little nation, a separate, special race of people, or as we come to know, the Jew. That's what God's promise was to Abraham. And then God himself was going to come and rule over a kingdom. Okay? That hasn't happened yet. Waiting for that to happen. The rest of the masses of humanity will go on like a river. Picture this in your mind's eye. Go on like a river, but out of this great river of humanity, God pulls out this little stream, the nation of Israel. So what you have, you have a little stream running alongside of the mass stream of humanity. It runs along beside it. Okay? So God, God pulled out a man out of the stream of humanity, Abraham, and now he's going to pull out a nation out from that same stream, and it's the nation Israel. The point, God would use the nation of Israel to penetrate the nations of the world and to bring them to a knowledge of their God. That was their opportunity and option, but we know that they rejected that. So God's pulled out this little nation called Israel, and the whole point of this little nation was to point other nations to their God, to their God, to their king, to their Messiah. And they did what? They, they did what? They crucified him. They crucified him. They crucified their king. They crucified their Messiah. Okay? Even though everything has been consummated for the salvation of the whole human race, God continues to deal with the Jew he does not immediately go to the Gentiles. He continues to deal with the Jew until we're introduced to the body of Christ. That's on your timeline. Now, on your Old Testament timeline, it brings you up to the crucifixion. I don't have one in front of me, but it brings you up to the crucifixion. And after the crucifixion, you have what? The body of Christ? Is that what you have? On the New Testament timeline? Look, New Testament timeline. I'm sorry. It's not on the Old Testament timeline. So you have the crucifixion, you have the cross, and you have the body of Christ. Should have? Is that way it is? The church age. See the church age after the crucifixion? Okay, you have the church age. Okay, now the church age, and this is real important, the church age is not listed on the Old Testament timeline because God had kept that secret. We're going to look at that in just a moment. You'll only hear, this is interesting, you'll only hear the phrase, the body of Christ, from the Apostle Paul. The reason for that, you don't hear... You don't hear terminology like the body of Christ. You never heard it in the Old Testament. You never hear the body of Christ. In the Gospels, you never hear the body of Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. Never hear till you get to the to Pauline epistles. And then after God saves Paul and calls him as an apostle to the Gentiles, you hear this thing about the body of Christ. The Lord told Ananias, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Told Ananias, but the Lord said unto him, Ananias, or Paul, or Ananias, go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. So Paul's referred to as the, uh, as the apostle to the Gentiles, or the 13th apostle. Um, so he, his whole ministry was not to the Jew. He was a Jew. His whole ministry was to the Gentile. And uh, he preached a different gospel than what you find in the Old Testament. He preached a gospel of salvation by faith, through faith. Uh, by grace are you saved through faith. That was his gospel. That's our gospel. 
So this is the turning point in God dealing with a human race. He raised up that Jew, Paul, that 13th epistle, and sends him to the Gentiles. And after the church is complete, and after the body of Christ is full, God has to take the body out of the way so he can pick back up with the Jew in particular in those final seven years of tribulation. So in the Old Testament outline that you have, you don't have the body of Christ or the church age listed. What you have is the crucifixion, and then you have the tribulation, and then you have the second coming. But in the New Testament outline, you have the church age, the age of grace, you have the body of Christ, all men in the same. And so God, God, there it is. So you have Paul's revelation, the mystery of the church age, and then you have, um, um, let me say, yeah, you have uh, the mystery of the church age here, and then you have the seven years of tribulation. Well, you have the rapture. And we're, we're brought out, and the reason we're brought out, God still got to complete that Old Testament timeline. So you have the seven years of tribulation here, and then you have the second coming with the saints here to the Mount of Olives, and then you have a thousand years millennial reign here, and then at the end of a thousand years you have eternity future there. Cal, can you show, can you throw up that Old Testament timeline? Okay. So, here's the Old Testament. Old Testament, you have the crucifixion, you have the ascension, you have the seven years tribulation. What's missing? What's missing? The church. They didn't know anything about the church. Nothing said in the Old Testament about the church. Nothing said in the four Gospels about the church. Jesus' message to the church, I mean, to the, in the four Gospels was to who? To Jew. Where did he do a lot of his teaching? In the synagogue. He was in there when he was 12 years old, learning and learning of, the, uh, of those that were scribes and, and the Pharisees and sitting there listening to their teaching. Remember, at 12 years old. It's all, about, it's all about the law prior to the cross. It's all about the kingdom. What's, the, what's their faith uh, in the Old Testament? The coming king, the coming Messiah. It's what they were believing in. That's what they were believing for. And he came, and what did they do? They killed him, they crucified him. And so God turned from a nation called Israel to a people called Gentiles to make his name great among the people. Okay? And so what he does here, what he does here, he comes, this is the Old Testament, you have the ascension, this is what, they, this is what the Old Testament teaches. You don't see, find the church age in it. And then you have the ascension, then you have this tribulation period, and then you have a, the second coming. Then you have the thousand years. But there's a break of 2,000 years. We're in it right now. We're in the 2,000-year break. We're in the, the, the church age. We're in the body of Christ age right now. And then he has to move us out of the way to complete the seven-year tribulation and come back, the, thousand, the second coming, the thousand-year kingdom, and eternity. And so... It, it, it all fits all fits back together. Let's hurry right quick. Next, we're going to have a second coming. Well, let me go back. Uh, after the church age is complete, the body of Christ is full. God has taken the body out of the way so he can pick up with the Jew in particular in those final seven years of tribulation. Next, we have a second coming. Then we have the thousand-year reign and the root of Christ in the kingdom. And this is the way that we understand the whole thousand years of time that God has laid out prophetically, and a lot of it is historically. Some of it's already happened. Now, we want to make a run through the Scripture and show from the Old Testament perspective that this part about the church age was never mentioned. Now, I want you to turn, before we break, I want you to turn to... I've used it before recently and studying for this. Deuteronomy 29, 29. 29, 29. Okay. 
Now, what our plans are when we come back from a short break, we want to make a run through the Scripture and show from the Old Testament perspective that this part about the church age was never mentioned. So we're going to go through, uh, we're going to go to the Old Testament, Psalms 2, where it gives the the prophecy of the end time, and we're going to see if the church age is ever mentioned or if, if there's a, a stop, is there a gap? And we want to see how God kept this secret. In Deuteronomy 29, look at verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of the Lord. And so God has kept secret from all the prophets in the Old Testament. Did God know there's going to be a church age? Yes, he's sovereign. He knew that. He knew there's going to be an age of grace. He knew that. Did he know that the Jews were going to reject the Messiah? He knew that. But he kept secret the church age, the age of grace, the body of the church, the body of Christ. He kept that out of the Old Testament, and it's shown only in the New Testament. And so we're going to take a break. And when you come back in, turn to, uh, uh, turn to Psalm chapter 2, and we'll finish up with a, with a brief uh, uh, DVD about how this was kept secret. The church age was never mentioned. Okay? So let's be back in here at 6 o'clock. And it's obvious. I just never had picked up on it. So probably you can take notes. Probably the best way to do this, I was studying myself, I jotted down the scriptures, so he's going to say you put a break between this and put a break between that. Just listen, but jot down the scripture. Make sure you get the scripture. And you can go back and read it, and, put, and you can see where the break comes and where God purposely leaves out the body of Christ and mentions other prophecies that have already been fulfilled or yet to be fulfilled. Les Feldick, some of you may have watched him years and years and years ago. This guy's probably about, uh, I guess he's in his 90s now, but he had, a, he had a Bible study on TV, and it was called uh, Through the Bible with Les Feldick, 30 Minutes. And uh, this guy, he has no formal training. All of his, all, he's a farmer, he, he has a cattle ranch. He's from Norman, Oklahoma. He, he went all over the, the West teaching God's Word. He's just a phenomenal person, has a fantastic mind. He's in a nursing home now. I don't know if uh, his wife um, is still living. But I found this, and it helps so much with the last part of this timeline. And so this is, this is a lay person. He's, he's not a preacher. I don't even know if he's a deacon, but he's, uh, he grew up in Southern Baptist Church. But he comes across as non-denominational. He doesn't attack any denomination. He doesn't carry a flag for anyone or a battle cry. He just takes God's Word and explains it in such a simple way. So listen to him and jot down the Scripture because he's going to remind you uh, he's going to run through the Scripture from the Old Testament perspective that this part about the church age was never mentioned. And that's very important. It was kept secret, okay? Until, until, the, until Paul was called by, by uh, Christ. Okay, about 15 minutes, I think. Time. All right, now I've got you in Psalms chapter 2. So I'm going to start reading there, right in verse 1. And hopefully, in the 15 minutes now we have left, we can make this run up through Scripture and show that from the Old Testament perspective, from the Old Testament perspective, this was never mentioned. This is something that is totally out of the Old Testament. The Old Testament just brings all this right up here. As soon as Christ was crucified and a short period of time could elapse, then the tribulation was to come in, 
Christ was to return, set up his kingdom to the nation of Israel. Now I'll point this out as we come up through the Old Testament. Psalms chapter 2. Now read this quickly. Verse 1, why do the heathen or the non-Jew rage and the people, the Jews, imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Now underline that word together because as we've been noticing in the book of Acts, and we're going to come back to that probably in our next program, Peter is constantly accusing the nation of Israel for crucifying their Messiah, doesn't he? You killed him. You murdered him. But you see, the scripture in total says Jew and Gentile were guilty of the crucifixion. Don't ever lose sight of that. All right, so the rulers take counsel together, that is, with the Gentile, that was Rome, and against the Lord and against his anointed, the Messiah. And they said, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now that was what the human race said concerning the Messiah. We'll not have this man to rule over us. Away with him. Crucify him. See? So they cast off the cords, that is, God's reins, from them. Then verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Now that's as a result of the crucifixion. But now look at verse 5. Then, after they have rejected the Messiah, the offer of the king and the kingdom, then he shall, what? Speak unto them, not in love, mercy, and grace, but in what? Wrath and vexation. So what is that? That's the tribulation. Now, do you see anything in between those two verses of the church age? No, it's not in there. So the psalmist just continues right on with the prophetic program. He will vex them in his sore displeasure, that's the tribulation. And then verse 6, what's the next event? The kingdom. Yet have I set my king on the holy hill of Zion. Again, any interlude for the church? No, it's not in here. Now, what I'm going to do is we slip up through the Old Testament based on this program. Now, again, I want you to picture in your mind's eye that the seven years and the thousand-year reign, the return of Christ, is right up here. We're just going to bring it up and realize that the Old Testament says nothing of this parenthetical period of time that we now know is in here. All right, now, in order to give me a basis for doing what I'm going to do, I'm going to have you go all the way. Keep your hand here in the Old Testament, Psalms. Yeah, we'll be back to Psalms in a little bit. Come all the way with me up to Luke chapter 4. And of course, with a 30-minute program, I'm always racing the clock. Now, when we have our two-hour classes here during the week, why, I don't have to worry about it quite so much. But Luke chapter 4. Drop down to verse 18, and the setting, of course, is the Lord and his earthly ministry, and he's gone into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and, well, I've got to read verse 17. As he went into the synagogue, and he stood up to read, verse 17, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he'd opened the book, or the scroll, he found the place where it was written. In other words, he looked for a particular portion of Scripture. And the place he found said, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, period. He closed the book, and he gave it to the minister, and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled. All right, now let's go back and read what he read, and that is in Isaiah chapter 61. Go back to Isaiah chapter 61, and uh, start right in verse 1. Isaiah 61, verse 1. And again, I always give you in the studio time to find the verse because we know a lot of people in their living room are doing the same thing and uh, I want to give them time as well as you. So in Isaiah 61 verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. See how identical this is? And the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, you remember in Luke 4, 
There was a period there. But in Isaiah, it's a what? It's a comma. And it's not the end of the sentence. And the sentence goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, according to Psalms chapter 2, what was that? The wrath and vexation. You see that? So this prophecy, just like Psalms chapter 2, flows right on through. And then the next part of the verse says, to comfort all that mourn. What's that? The kingdom. See? Just like it said in Psalms 2, he will pour out his wrath and vexation, and yet have I set my king on the holy hill of Zion. That's the process. And so the Lord, teaching now in the synagogue, or reading in the synagogue, knew the end from the beginning, so he knew where to stop. And he said, this is fulfilled in your ears. The rest of it wouldn't be. And so it's going to be postponed. Now, what we've done then, if you'll go back with me to Psalms chapter 2, and we're going to take a run, like I said, up through the Old Testament and all the way into the New, if we have time. And we like to put little marks with a parenthesis around it to show where it was fulfilled and where the rest is still unfulfilled. Now, in Psalms chapter 2, the verses we read, you have to stop after verse 3, because that's as much as happened. They rejected the Messiah, they crucified him, and then verse 5 hasn't happened even yet. He has not yet spoken in his wrath and vexation. That's still future. So we can put a break in time there. All right, now then go with me to Psalms 118. Psalms 118, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to see where the Old Testament just continues on with the prophetic plan, but we know that it's been interrupted. Psalms 18, 118, verse 22. Psalms 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders refused. When did that happen? Well, at his crucifixion. Who was the stone of Scripture? Christ is. He was the head of the corner. But what did they do with it? They cast it aside, not knowing who he was. So that's all that was fulfilled. But what does the rest of the verse say? He became the headstone of the corner. That hasn't happened yet. So you can put a little break right in the middle of that verse. The builder stone was refused. The rest of it is still future. All right, let's go on to Isaiah chapter 9. That familiar portion. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, I think it's verse 6. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given. Did that happen at the first advent? Sure did. But now read on. The government shall be upon his shoulder. No, that hasn't happened yet. That's a reference to the kingdom, when he will be the king of kings and lord of lords. That hasn't happened yet. So you put a break in there. The first part's fulfilled. The rest of it is still future. All right, we can go on from there to Isaiah chapter 61. Well, that's the verse I think we just read. Uh, that the Lord referred to, but again, just look at it once more, get it locked into our computers, where he says in verse 1 that he came to preach good tidings, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, see? And then the rest, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. That hasn't happened yet. So you just put a break right in the word, between the word Lord and the word and. All right, now let's go to Daniel, chapter 9. Ezekiel, Daniel, chapter 9. This is the chapter on Daniel's 70th week, remember. And now you come down to verse 26, where we already have the description of the coming of the Messiah. And then verse 26, and after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. What is that speaking of? His crucifixion, his death, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now that didn't happen right at his advent, but just a few years later, 70 A.D., when Rome destroyed the temple. All right, but now look at the rest. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and to the end war and desolations determined, and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant. That hasn't happened yet. That's all still future. So you can put your break in this verse right after the word sanctuary. 
because that all took place in his first advent, at least in proximity of it. Next one, Joel, chapter 2. Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. You know, this is Bible study. My land, this is just plain Bible study. The, the, this isn't denominational doctrine or anything like that. No, this is just showing you what the Scripture says. Joel chapter 2, verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward, that is, after his rejection and so forth, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants, upon the handmaids in those days, I will pour out of my Spirit. And then look at verse 30, he says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood, fire, pillar of smoke. Did that happen? No, that hasn't happened yet. But all the rest of verse 28 did. That was Pentecost. See, that was all in proximity of his first coming. But verse 30 is the tribulation. And that doesn't happen. So we put a break in there. All right, another one. Zechariah. We're getting close to the end now. Zechariah, chapter 9. Zechariah is the next last book in your Old Testament. Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. Look at verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, just, having salvation, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon the colt. Did that happen? Sure it did. But look at the next one. Verse 10, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bowl shall be sh uh, cut off. He shall speak peace to the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea to sea. What's that? The kingdom. Has that happened? No. Still future. So we put a break in between chapter, uh, I mean, verse 9 and uh, verse 10. All right, quickly a minute into Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and I don't know if I'm going to run out of time with this one or not, but we're getting close. Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 1, and again, between 31 and 32. See how obvious all these are? Verse 31 says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Did it happen? You bet it did. Verse 32, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Hadn't happened yet. It's going to. You see how clearly all these are? All right, one more. Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. Now we're getting down to the end of the whole break in prophecy. Where Jesus says, And they, the Jews, shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. See, that happened at the siege of Titus. And then verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Has that happened? No. I see how clearly all this is. And so what I'm always just trying to show from this putting breaks in verses that this Old Testament program, as the Old Testament put it straight out, was suddenly interrupted and this gap is put in here and all of this is still future.